Good morning. There are three readings this morning. The first is from the book of John, chapter 14. You can find it on page five of your orders of service. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The second reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And the final reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. It would be great if you could keep, um, particularly Matthew 7 open this evening. I'll be referring to the first two passages, but um, we're going to zero in as we continue our series on the Sermon on, Mount, on, on Matthew chapter 7. 
Well, that renovation quote comes back. And there are three options. A budget renovation, a mid-range one, or your dream home. As a Christian, which one do you choose? Option A, B, or C? European car or Japanese? That promotion you've been angling for, the recognition, the bonus, a significant bump in pay, and a move from 45 hours a week to 55, and perhaps a little more. Or maybe more day-to-day, as a Christian, should I continue to stream that series on Stan? Should I have that next drink? For the Christian, where's the line? Where do we draw the line? Between being in the world and being of the world. Between living in the world and living like the world. And of course, think of the temptations that we face in this amazing city. I mean, we live in one of the most enviable places on the planet. Our standard of living, our access to higher education, to healthcare, to technology, it's almost like everything is at our fingertips. All we need to do is, is reach out and take. God has so abundantly blessed us. And, well, it's hard not to just dive right in, to run just as hard as everyone else in pursuit of the very best that life in Sydney has to offer. But we know better, don't we? In fact, John Stott, I think, hits the nail right on the head in that first quote in your zines. He says what, well, I think anyone who's made more than a passing study of the scriptures knows deep down that uncomfortable, but also very precious, Christian truth. John Stott. The essential theme of the whole Bible, from beginning to end, is that God's historical purpose is to call out a people for himself. That this people is a holy people, set apart from the world to belong to him and to obey him. And that its vocation, our vocation, is to be true to our identity. That is, to be holy or different in all our outlook and behaviour. God calls us to be different in all our outlook and behaviour. But do you ever have moments like these? I certainly do. You're pursuing your career, you're paying your mortgage down, you're raising your children or, or loving your grandchildren. You're working on your fitness, you're enjoying your technology, you're planning for your retirement, and you're looking forward to your next holiday. Exactly like everyone else. Different in all my outlook and behaviour. Not so much. So, where to draw the line? And perhaps even more honestly, when we do know where to draw the line, well, very often our heart wants to be on the other side of that line. 
I mean, if you're anything like me, then you probably feel the pull of this almost every day. The temptation to have it both ways, to blend our Christian faith with the best that Sydney has to offer. You know, this same tension, I think, sits right across Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it makes for, well, uncomfortable reading. Because there's precious little for those who want to inhabit a middle ground like me. In fact, what struck me over the past few weeks is the relentless polarity in the text. The constant contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. They're like oil and water. The two don't mix. There's no each-way bet. There's no fence-sitting. There's no middle ground. Jesus has been saying, well, look, you, you can't live with one foot in the kingdom of heaven and one foot in the kingdom of this world. Like I want to. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. You'll either love one and hate the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You're either all in or all out. A five-word summary of the Sermon on the Mount might be Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 8, right in the middle there. In Matthew 6, 8, Jesus says, do not be like them. Be different in all your outlook and behaviour. And so today, as we arrive at the pointy end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, now there's just two weeks left in our series, it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus raises the temperature even further. He brings this tension in the text, and in my heart as well, to a head. It's decision time. Not make your own Christianity, but take it or leave it Christianity. There are only two gates, two roads, two crowds, and two destinations. And it's no bed of roses. Ours is the far harder path, it's verses 13 and 14. With those who would lead us astray at every turn, verses 15 to 20. And then there's that, that heart-rending scene at the end. I mean, can you imagine anything worse? Greeting Jesus by name at his appearing, only for him to reply, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. It's so unsettling. What does all this mean? Well, I think Jesus is drawing the line for us. And that line isn't as blurry as it may seem. All roads do not lead to Rome. All ideologies, all outlooks on life, even our own particular mix of secularism and Christianity may be a false trail. It's treacherous out there. There are landmines, sheer cliff faces, dead ends. There are counterfeits everywhere. I actually stumbled on this outline in my preparation and I just couldn't get past it. The idea of counterfeit money. You've got a fortune in your hands, all the promise in the world, but in the end, utterly useless. Riches to poverty in a heartbeat. Don't be that person, Jesus is saying again and again uh, to bring his sermon home. And so we have uh, counterfeit paths in verses 13 and 14. Choose the right one. Counterfeit prophets, verses 15 to 20, don't listen to them. And counterfeit performance, verses 21 
to 23, which is perhaps the most tragic of all. Counterfeit paths, counterfeit profits, and counterfeit performance. And a choice that needs making with no middle ground. So let's uh, look at each of those briefly uh, in turn. So firstly then, counterfeit paths. Uh, just two verses there, uh, verses 13 and 14, which are, are so rich in implication. Let, let me read them. This is Jesus. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. And so as I said before, here we have two paths, two gates, two crowds, and two destinations. It's not like Jesus could be much clearer. It's the one or the other. There's no middle ground. It's the kingdom or the world. It's my way, says Jesus, or, pardon the pun, the highway. Now, look, I know it might feel like there are a myriad of Christian pathways through Sydney, but Jesus tells us here that, that ultimately there are just two. One is narrow and the other is wide. In the Greek, it sort of sits under the English version of our Bibles. Um, the word um, wide there means broad and, and spacious and roomy. One path is wide and easy. Using a little bit of imagination, well, there's, there's plenty of room on it for a diversity of opinions. Freedom when it comes to morals. It's the road of tolerance and permissiveness and inclusivity. There are no curbs or, or boundaries of either thought or conduct. Pretty much anything goes. Travellers on this road follow their hearts, what appears and feels right to them. Whatever comes naturally, that's why the road is broad and easy. But the narrow path, on the other hand, well, it's hard. Its boundaries are clearly marked by the word of God. Its travellers are restricted to what God has revealed in Scripture to be true and good, with lines clearly drawn. Well, next there are two gates. Um, one's, one's wide. Again, a bit of imagination. It's, it's wide, right? There's, there's no limit on the luggage that we can take with us. We don't need to leave anything behind, not even our sins, or self-righteousness, or, or our pride. The gate uh, leading to the hard way, on, on the other hand, well, it's, it's narrow, almost like a turnstile. In order to fit through it, um, well, we must be willing to leave everything behind. Sin, selfish ambition, materialism, even if necessary, family and friends. And thirdly, there are two destinations, life or destruction, heaven or hell. Moses ends his famous sermon in the book of Deuteronomy with a similar appeal. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, and that, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Well, this is Jesus' now choose life moment. 
You've heard my sermon, Jesus is saying. Which will it be? It's decision time. This isn't about balancing your faith with your secular priorities. This is an all-in or all-out moment. Will you be different in all your outlook and behaviour? Or will you be like them? Which destination will be yours? What crowd will you be part of, the many or the few? And so to, to recap, I think it's hard to miss the stark nature of the decision we face. Jesus draws a very clear line. There are, according to Jesus, only two ways, one hard and one easy. There's no middle way. They're entered by two gates, one broad and one narrow. There's no other gate. They're trodden by two crowds, one large and one small. There's no neutral group. And they end in two destinations, destruction and life. There's no third alternative. Which path will you choose? Well, next Jesus moves from counterfeit paths to counterfeit prophets in verses 15 to 20. Who will you listen to on the narrow path? And, and look, I think verse 15 sets the tone, doesn't it? Let me read just that single verse. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Well, as if life isn't hard enough already on the narrow path marked out for us by the word of God. Um, Jesus warns us that in addition we need to be on the lookout for false teachers, those who appear to be journeying with us, but who are impostors, bent on leading us astray. And we don't have to look too far in the Old Testament to find plenty of examples of these, um, like someone going to sort of quote from the book of Jeremiah in a minute. So what were the false prophets like in the Old Testament? Well, more often than not, they were very popular, very bright and optimistic about God about human life and about the future. To them, God was a God of love and mercy, not judgment. In fact, they never spoke much of the judgment of God at all. Instead, they spoke what people's itching ears wanted to hear, filling the people with vain hopes, Jeremiah says. They said continually to those who objected to some aspects of Scripture, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly followed their own heart, they said, uh, Jeremiah 23, no disaster shall come upon you. Well, God said of them, words of foreboding, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Beware of counterfeit teachers like these, says Jesus. It's not so much what they teach, but what they never teach. They might speak passionately and eloquently about the love of God, the beauty of his creation, the, the promise of a world made new, not uttering a single word that's untrue, but somehow never quite getting to the depravity of sin, the need for personal holiness, the realities of the final judgment of God, the certainty of heaven and hell foundational realities of the Christian faith that they privately disavow. 
or the reverse. <laughs> it might be for them all about works and judgment and hell, and that might be what they use to get you into their cult. But either way, there's a bending, a manipulating, a, a twisting of the scriptures and an imbalanced gospel steering you unwittingly from the narrow path. Watch out for them, says Jesus. They're wolves, ferocious wolves, dressed in sheep's clothing, the arch enemy of the shepherd. Well, how do we recognise them? Uh, you might say, if they're so well disguised. Well, Jesus is way ahead of us. Um, in fact, at the start and the finish of this section, verses 16 and 20, by their fruit, he says, you'll recognise them. You will recognise them by their fruit. Which is as if to say, weigh everything they do and say according to the scriptures. Watch both their life and doctrine closely. Watch Justin's life and doctrine closely. Watch my life and doctrine closely. Watch anyone in our church community who has influence over you. Watch their life and doctrine closely. Because wolves can't hide forever, just as trees can't hold back their fruit. Now, that fruit may some, take some time to come forth, like, like an apple tree or a pear tree, but you know what? Eventually, there'll be fruit of one kind or another. And in the long run, you won't mistake grapes for thorns or figs for thistles. And here, I think Jesus' point is this. Genuine saving faith changes a person from the inside out. His spirit fills them, transforms them into his likeness, and they begin to overflow with the fruit of the spirit. From our Galatians 5 reading, those beautiful words, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You will recognize them, says Jesus, by their fruit. Which helps us understand, I think, Jesus' final unsettling point. And so now we move from counterfeit paths and counterfeit prophets to counterfeit performance, the last three verses there. And here we have the tragic scene of apparent Christians who thought they'd walked the narrow path, but who blended too much of the world into their faith. Let me read verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, these verses are extremely unsettling. I think Jesus meant them to be. So that you make 100% sure that you're on the right side of that line. That you're in the world, but not of the world. That you truly are a member of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world, that you are wholly different in all your outlook and behaviour. 
You see, here I think are the proud words of counterfeit performance. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? But then here are the words of, I think, a true Christian, spoken incidentally by, by John Newton. We're going to sing one of his songs shortly. In these words, John Newton's speaking about heaven. He says, I expect to find three wonders there. First, to meet some I had not thought to see there. Second, to miss some I had thought to meet there. And third, the greatest wonder of all, to find myself there. Do you hear the fundamental difference in tone between those two statements? In the one, there's pride and achievement, impressive Christian works. In the other, utter humility. Wonder, even, that someone like him might find himself there in heaven. See, Jesus sees through the outward show. He sees through nominal Christianity. He sees all the wolves and all the pretenders on the narrow path. He sees the Christians who love the world. And most importantly, he knows the depths and recesses of our hearts, whether his spirit resides in them or not. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the narrow path. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. The the only way to heaven is to confess your sins before me. Repent of them. Turn away from them and place your trust in my saving work on the cross. But when you do, when you genuinely do, without fail, you'll be filled with my Holy Spirit the sign and seal of genuine saving faith, the proof of whose presence will be the holiness in the way you live. So where then is that line? Between being in the world and being of the world? The boundary lines, if you like, of that narrow path. Well, the line is this implanted desire towards holiness. The test of that narrow path is holiness. Renovation option A, B or C. I don't know. I don't know your situation. I don't know your heart. But God knows your heart. And you know what I suspect you do too? It's a question of holiness. That promotion, well, it's it's a question of holiness. The next drink, well, holiness. Staying on the narrow path is a question of holiness. You know, Jesus, his Sermon on the Mount may just be the most admired and the most studied speech ever given. But Jesus is saying, it's not enough to sit back and admire these words. It's not even enough to intellectually assent to them in some kind of passive way. You need to do them. 
You need to want in your heart of hearts to become the person I'm describing. Sure, you'll struggle. Sure, you'll fail, but you'll repent of those sins and you'll pick up those pieces and you'll press forward along the narrow road towards the prize because you have my spirit inside you, my spirit of holiness that simply can't do otherwise. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If my Holy Spirit truly lives in you, you will be holy you'll be filled with the fruit of the Spirit and you'll do what I say. See that verse 21? Only the one who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. And after they sort of pridefully hold forth their seemingly impressive works, all that Jesus has to say for them, seeing into their hearts, is, away from me, you evil doers. You know, I think Luke's version of the same story is even clearer. Luke 6.46, it's Jesus speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Is Jesus speaking to you this evening? I mean, here you are in church or, or following on, on live stream. You're praying to him. You're walking to all appearances the narrow path. But are you doing what he says? How are you going at being different in your outlook and behaviour? Deep down in your heart of hearts, do you want to obey Jesus' commandments? You're holy. And when you mess up, as we all do, are you cut to the heart in remorse and repentance? And a few moments later, are you, are you basking once more in the grace and forgiveness that enables you to get up and go at it again? Obedience. Repentance when we fall short. And the active pursuit of holiness in our lives. That's the proof of the presence of his Holy Spirit in your heart. The well-done, good and faithful servant in place of, away from me, I never knew you on that final day. So we have counterfeit paths, tread the path of holiness, counterfeit prophets. You'll know them by their fruit. Look for holiness and counterfeit performance, not if your heart is set on holiness. Do not be like them, says Jesus. Be holy in all you do. I'm just going to pray for us now. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit of holiness. Help us to keep in step with him and walk in a manner that is worthy of you. Help us to overflow with the fruit of the Spirit, your love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Heavenly Father, please help us to want with all our hearts to obey your commandments and to do so increasingly in response to the grace and unconditional uh, forgiveness that you've lavished upon us through our faith in Jesus' work on that cross. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.